So good morning. I just want to open us up and read this scripture to us this morning. Um, I was reading this yesterday, and it's Psalms 100, and it is about coming together and praising the Lord, and He is worthy. It's just really a Psalms of thanksgiving, and it says this, lift up a great shout of joy to the Lord. Go ahead and do it. Can you tell yourself, just do it this morning? You know, just do it. Everyone, everywhere, as you serve Him, be glad and worship Him. Sing your way into His presence with joy. So this morning you have an opportunity to sing your way into his presence and realize what this really means. We have the privilege of worshiping the Lord our God, for he is our creator and we belong to him. We are the people of his pleasure. Can I just tell you that the Lord delights in us this morning, that he loves us. You can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Come, bring your thank offering to him and affectionately bless his beautiful name. For the Lord is always good and ready to receive you. He's so loving that it will amaze you, so kind that it will astound you. And he is famous for his faithfulness toward all. Everyone knows our God can be trusted, for he keeps his promises to every generation. You and I, are a part of that every generation. So we're going to worship and praise and honor him and love on him this morning because he's worthy. So King Jesus, we come this morning. Lord, we are so thankful that you have created a way for us to come and to know the Father. Holy Spirit, would you reveal Father's the Lord's fatherhood to us this morning, God, that we are deeply loved sons and daughters. God, we thank you for every testimony in this house this morning of your goodness. And Lord, we celebrate them again and again. And Lord, we honor, Lord, your faithfulness to us, Lord, because you are faithful and true. And your promises toward us, God, are faithful and true. Lord, we worship you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord, y'all.
circle. Holy Spirit, thank you for loving 
testimony of something from this week. And um, for those of you who don't know what's going on, April will be two years that she and Mike have battled over a knee replacement surgery, and he has had seven surgeries with complications, with infections. And um, there is a breakthrough this morning for um, with this song and for where you are and what the Lord wants to do this morning in this service. So I'm going to let her share kind of something that happened to her this week at a doctor's appointment with Mike. I'm so grateful and thankful, first of all, for all the prayers that the church have prayed for us because we know that's what's kept us going. It's been a long journey. It's been discouraging at times, but I rise with confidence because I know who my God is. A few days before our appointment this week, um, Mike's knee had like this bubble thing, and I told him it was going to bust or he needed to let me bust it. And I know that sounds gross, but I'm sorry, I'm a nurse. <laughs> so um, he went and took a shower, and it busted, and it was not pretty. And uh, 
the next day, it kept messing up his clothes. It would soak the drain, the dressings and all that kind of thing. And he was sort of frustrated. But anyway, long story short, um, the day of the appointment, at 4.30 in the morning when we're getting ready, Mike looks at me and he says, he says, my knee is better. My knee is better. And that's the first time that he has felt that way in all these many months. And we go to the doctor's office, and they're freaking out about the fluid, which is funny because they've been draining it nearly every time we go. And they said, we want you to email us in three weeks. If this hasn't stopped, if you're not walking better, we're taking out the implant. We went to the second doctor, which was the infection control doctor, and he basically said the same thing. And Mike came to the car, and he's telling me what they said. And I looked at him, and I said, no. No way. God's already got his hand in this. He's already moving. You're better. You're walking better. This morning, his knee is almost a normal size. He could even walk without his cane. You can't tell me that God doesn't hear our prayer. Now, he might answer in his time instead when I want him to. But he's always there, and he's always there. Yeah. Amen. We're going to have a little bit of a response to that this morning. This song says, I would have despaired unless I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mike is living in the land of the living. And God wants healing for today, right now, where you are, whatever it is. Because you don't need healing in heaven you're already whole. We need healing to occur here in the earth. And so if you need healing in your body, this is a testimony of God's goodness. A couple of weeks ago, we prayed for Mike and he said, I feel tingling in my knee. Y'all, he has not felt anything in his knee for almost a year or more. He hasn't felt any of those nerves. So I wanna tell you that God is moving on your behalf this morning and his goodness towards you. So if you need healing in your body this morning, will you raise your hand? If you need healing in your body, raise your hand this morning. We're going to gather around you and we're going to pray for you. Amen. We're going to go back into this song, gather around those with their hands up and worship to this song. We're going to create an atmosphere of heaven in this place for healing to be released over those who need healing in their bodies in the name of Jesus. Yeah, Lord, we believe your goodness this morning, Lord. We thank you for the power of the gospel because the power of the gospel is healing. The power of the gospel is healing in our bodies this morning, Lord. It is healing in our minds, Lord. We release Holy Spirit to come and move among us and bring breakthrough, to bring breakthrough in areas of lives and places that have been holding for years, Lord. We release the healing of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to worship and pray, y'all. Even the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. I believe in the power of the gospel still makes the broken whole. I believe that the curse of sin Roll away that stone. I believe, I believe. Oh. 
have uh, Marcy come up and share. She was praying for Alan. Some of you guys know Alan's going through some challenges as well. He was in the hospital this last week. So he's a pretty, pretty big trooper if he's up here playing bass after he was in the hospital for a couple of days. Uh, but lots of people going through some real challenges with uh, sickness and disease and just things that just keep popping up, as Karen was sharing about, uh, about Mike. But a lot of us are going through those things. And Marcy had just a picture she wanted to share, and then I just want to share a few things. So as we were singing this song, um, I had a picture of the body of Christ. We were in battle. It was smoky. We were shackled. But through all that we were going through, we kept singing praises. And we kept pressing forward. We could not see ahead of us. It was dark, cloudy, smoky. We, as we kept pressing forward and singing these praises, shackles started falling off of us. We approached this hill, and on the other side, it was beautiful. There was, it was just this gorgeous field, sunny, gorgeous. No one had shackles on them, and we just continued singing praises. So I know that there's going to be breakthrough for all of us. Just keep singing your praises. Yeah, that's good, Marcy. So, so a couple things, and we're going to just do some worship before we transition. Um, one was this, you know, Karen mentioned this. This song is very interesting that it talks about in the land of the living. So a lot of us grew up in churches where, where our hope was heaven. And there's nothing wrong with our hope being heaven. That is a hope. It's the biggest hope, of course, right? In heaven, there's going to be no sickness. The Bible says it, wipe away all of our tears. So that's the truth of what heaven looks like. But we're not in heaven yet. How many of you guys know that? Anybody notice we're not in heaven yet? Just watch CNN. You'll find out how quickly we're not in heaven. So, so any news agency, actually. But, but here's why that's important. Because so often, we, if we're not careful, we submit to this mindset. The enemy, he just wears us down to the point where we say, I, I begin to lose hope. You know, I begin to just kind of get, walk into this place of despair. And I settle for something that God never, I settle for less than the inheritance that God has given us. So here's the other side of that equation. The, the danger is then we try to do it in our own strength, right? And we push and we push and push. And as you know, as one of the struggles we find, especially when we're challenged with something that doesn't seem to go away, is we, we get to the point where we, get, we start to want to give up and just submit to the situation and just we, we, we begin to ascribe to the Lord something that the enemy is doing, right? And so as a people, what, part of what I believe that, that Marcy is seeing is God's building a culture in local churches that says we, we will never be satisfied with anything less than the full inheritance that God has given us as individuals and as the body of Christ. And so we've talked about the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and Marcy's seeing a picture. That's one of the manifestation gifts, right, that's happening among us. Why that's so important is, is that as you grow and as you draw close to the Lord and you begin to step out in faith, and take risks and gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. Lives are transformed through what you do in your obedience to the Lord. Often the Lord will use something in you, something going on in you, to connect with somebody else. You'll have a word, you'll have a picture, you'll have all those things happen. And as you walk up and you minister, that God's grace will flow through that gift into that other person and you'll see miracles happen. And so I just want to challenge us that as we do this, part of the Part of the challenge is we say, God, will you do it? Will you do it? Will you do it? 
And, and God's just saying back to us, I did it, I did it, I did it. That's what the, whole, that's what the cross was about. That's what, that's what the stripes were for. It's the reason Jesus died, is, is to redeem us from all of sickness, all of brokenness. All, he redeems us from all things, is what Scripture says. So one of the just challenges is we praise. The picture was that we don't go out and just strive and really go after, oh, if I just strive really hard, it says we praise. So part of that means that we must ascribe to God. We must have a mindset that moves away from God. You're holding back from you. You are withholding good things from me. To a place that says, Lord, I don't completely understand what's happening. I know it's an attack from the enemy. I know I live in a broken world. But I know this. You're God and I'm going to ascribe to you glory. And I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to honor you. Because you're worthy. Whether I see this here or see this, see it all there. I'm going to praise and I'm going to worship you. So we're going to take just a couple of minutes. And I'm going to challenge you. If that mindset has been grabbing hold of you. Would you just recognize what's going on. Acknowledge it. And just, just speak against that. And say I refuse to ascribe to something to God that is the enemy. He, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God comes to bring life more abundantly. It's what the scripture says about Jesus. Amen. So we're just going to worship for a few minutes before we, before we transition. And I just want to ask you, just would you just praise God? Would we just walk over that hill? Would we, again, it's almost like once you get to the crest of it, you see it, but you saw it before you got to the top of the hill. That's kind of the point. So Jesus, we just come. And Lord, we do. We ascribe to you goodness. Heavenly Father, you are the one who gives good gifts, is what Scripture says. Lord, in you there's no shadow of turning. Lord, you, you don't, you're, you're not moved by circumstances, Lord. You never change, and you have been for us, and you will be for us. So, Lord, we just receive your goodness, we receive your grace, Lord. And, Lord, what we do is we just come and we honor and we praise you and we lift up your name and we ascribe to you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Would, just, would you just worship for a few minutes? that it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Lord, and the kingdom of God is righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just release your kingdom goodness in this house over sons and daughters in the name of Jesus. Lord, your kingdom is not a kingdom of lack, but it is a kingdom of lavish love and goodness towards us. Lord, we worship you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning. If you're a guest with us, go to DothanCF.com. Um, click on the connection card. I'm new here. Fill that out. We'd love to be in touch with you, get to know you, get to know a little bit about your story, and you can hear a little bit about our story. We would love to know um, and hear just kind of like what your heart is for the local church. And um, we're going to ask um, David and Callie and David to come up. We're going to do a little bit of a, um, a um, kind of like a little mini profile. I don't know what to call it this morning, but it's about our youth and how to be involved with youth and um, what's happening at DCF with our young people, with our um, junior high and high school age young people, and how that is a mission for all of us to be on together in some practical ways, how we're going to get to be able to engage in that as a body. So, All right, so uh, let me just share a little bit of what, what we've been doing. We've been planning for uh, quite a while now. Uh, for probably, well, we've been talking about it for a long, long time and working towards this goal of uh, beginning a youth ministry, a student ministry at DCF. It's not like we haven't had that in the past. We've had times where there are people who were, who were able to work in some of those arenas as well. Uh, but we, we talked about this as an eldership team, talked talk through with the elders and the deacons and the leaders, and, and we felt like part of the, the, the challenge God gave us was to see us grow financially, to see us grow families and to see young growth, so young families come in, and so the picture behind that was, we're not going to lose anything, we want to stay sustainable with who we have in our demographic as a church, but at the same time, there's some things that we can do intentionally to help us grow in some of those areas, and so, <laughs> so Jim is going to be leading most of it, actually, um, so anyway, we, uh, we had some conversation and talked about how to make this happen, and these guys are part of our eldership team, Dave and Callie Woodham. Um, and they were gracious enough to say, hey, we would love to help build this. So I just want to position these guys real quick. They are not youth pastors. They're not youth leaders, even though they're youth leaders and they're pastoring youth. Does that make sense? These guys, these guys are elders. They have, they're part of that role. They serve in that role in the church um, because uh, they meet the character qualifications in Timothy and Titus. All those things are, are, are awesome. There's government on them, and they minister in effective ways. They're both high-capacity people, if you guys know these guys. Dave was a captain. Was it National Guard? or Okay, so Dave was a captain in the National Guard in the Army. Um, uh, he also, I think, recently just made captain in the... Sergeant. Okay, my bad. I was, I was pushing you, man. I was trying to get you there. So made sergeant. And then uh, Callie's a nurse, and uh, obviously these guys are uh, young parents and also uh, starting a business, and so they got a lot of things going on. So high-capacity people. There's an old saying that if you want to get something done, find people who are getting things done. <laughs> and these guys are like that. So they're building a team uh, around youth ministry, and our prayer, and what, part of what we want to do as we do this is to challenge you guys to pray with us as a team and as a church that God would send, as we begin to build, that God would send somebody who, who can lead youth ministry and student ministry, who eats, sleeps, dreams, believes, and constantly is passionate about reaching young people and uh, for the Lord and re reach them for the kingdom. So that's what we're praying into, that God would send us leaders that would take these things on. But in the meantime, these guys have been willing and, uh, and are, are quite able and ha have the capacity to help build into this team. So we're gonna, I just got a couple of questions for them. And so the first one, simple, is what prompted you guys to take on building youth ministry here at DCF? So that's a pretty big, uh, interesting thing. So... <laughs> um. Well, well, first of all, and this is, this is true of everyone on the eldership team, um, we, we always try to position ourselves or posture ourselves uh, for, yes, whatever God has for the church. 
our automatic response is yes. And one of those things that we believe that God has for us, as Dave talked about, is growth, uh, specifically. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, she's going to lead it. <laughs> um, but we believe uh, that's growth. Uh, young families, uh, youth, I mean, just all around. So, um, obviously, right now, uh, we don't have uh, a large youth population with us right now, but we believe that uh, we need to prepare because we don't need to be start building once we start have kids coming through the door. We need to prepare now and be yeah. ready for them. Uh, so, yeah, our, our immediate response was, was yes, and uh, we're, we're excited about it because we believe that, you know, uh, and I may be bleeding to other questions. Yeah, that's so fine. I'm, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, uh, we believe that, that our youth, that, that God has such, such uh, big plans for our youth, for our kids. You know, obviously, DCF, we're a house that, you know, we don't believe in a junior Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we believe that, that God is speaking to our kids as much as he's speaking to us, that, uh, you know, our kids, you know, they say kids are the future. Um, and while, while, yes, we believe that is true, we feel like that, that takes away from uh, what God has because he has plans for them right now. Yeah, come he on. has plans to yeah. move through them right now. Uh, so, yeah, so that was our, our, our passion behind starting this up. Cool. So another question is, what would you say to the church as a whole about youth ministry as we kind of go into this? Just ever because everybody's obviously not called or passionate about working with youth. What would you say to the whole church? Yeah, no, uh, not everyone. Uh, yeah, not everyone is necessarily called to to be uh, active in youth ministry in a sense of you know just being a part of it, serving and whatnot. But but everyone has a part to play. Um, yeah. I, I don't want anyone to feel like, well, I mean, this isn't this isn't for me. No, I mean, uh, I think promoting it. You know, if you know young families, if you just have kids that are of that age, the, the, you know, high school, middle school age, you know, be, be adamant about it, investing in their lives as far as, you know, say, hey, we have a great program we'd love to, to have you be a part of and just promote it because, yeah, I mean, like I said before, see, you know, response one uh, for, for why we're, we're wanting to do this. Uh, so, yeah, even, even if it doesn't look like you coming in um, and, and, serving Sunday mornings during our services, our youth services, um, does not mean that you don't have a, a role to play. So that this is for everyone. Cool. And then lastly, uh, if someone's interested in working with youth, so maybe they, their interest was piqued this morning, how, do, how can they get involved? Uh, yeah, obviously the, the website, uh, dothancf.com. You can go there and under, it should be under Grace Teams, yep, right? Grace, uh, yep. Youth Ministries, you can sign up there. Or uh, if you more of like a, a personal conversation, me and Callie are, are always available to talk to you about youth and how you can be involved. Um, and please do not, do not let youth, serving in youth, daunt you. You know, don't let it be this thing where it's like, I could never do that. I, I promise you. The biggest thing about about being involved with youth is just spending time and being yeah. there for them. Yeah, I don't don't feel like you have to solve every crisis that comes into their lives. Honestly, just having a, an adult being there, listening, just saying, "I care about you," and you have value, and just just feeding the truth that God uh, shares with us into their lives. That's the that's the biggest win we can possibly get through this. So yeah. Um, don't think that, that you can't step in and, and be a part of this somehow. 
Yeah, it's good. Um, so we're going to be starting uh, February 5th. Okay, so it's coming up real, real quick because we're actually going to be starting. One of the things we used to tell people, Karen and I did a lot of youth ministry over our years, 30-something years in ministry, and we used to tell people, if you can, if you can love a teenager without strangling them, you could be a part of youth ministry. And then we would say, I, I, I didn't say if you could love a teenager without wanting to strangle them, because you're going to want to strangle them sometimes. That's just kind of the nature of it. But the whole thing is, is they're on a, they're on a big roller coaster journey transitioning from being a child to being a young adult. And, man, that's hard in any culture, but in our culture, it's very, very, very difficult. So if you, if you can love young people, that's, the big, that's probably the biggest thing. And we can help you find where your gifts and your strengths and all those things fit. But if you're interested at all, see these guys and, then, and, and definitely get up connected with them. Kelly wanted to share something before we finish. No? No. I didn't <laughs> oh, I Kelly does not want to share anything before we finish. <laughs> Dave took her questions. Let's do this. If you guys would, we're going to pray for these guys as they launch into this with the team that they're building. And uh, just, just trust us, trust with us as, as we trust the Lord this morning that God's going to do something amazing and, and young people's lives are going to be transformed as they really step into grace and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let's just pray for these guys. So Jesus, first of all, we just say thank you, Lord, um, not just for their willingness, Lord, but their eagerness, Lord, to serve in this capacity, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray, um, Lord, let your favor uh, continually be upon them, everything that they touch, Lord, every event, everything that they minister into, every, every young person that they connect with, Lord, let there be a connection, Lord, a Holy Spirit connection that reaches deeply into that young person, helps them understand who you made them to be, to speak to their identity, Lord, especially when our culture is trying to take them off in all kinds of directions about their identity. And Lord, more than anything else, Lord, um, we just know these guys are going to create an environment of love and a place where young people can be free and be safe and have tough conversations, Lord. So Lord, we just come alongside these guys, and as they come alongside the parents and, that are here already, and the parents are going to be connecting to DCF, Lord. And again, Lord, that you're just, your kindness and your grace and your mercy would just flood every avenue of this ministry. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all very much. Um, we love David and Callie and what's in their hearts um, for DCF. Um, we have got grace teams. If you're new to us, grace teams have got like some over on the table. Um, they're also on our website, but we are launching them. We do this every January, and it's how you bring your strength and your uniqueness to cause the body to grow, and especially to cause the local church body at DCF to grow. And so um, you can check those out. We are going to be launching our community groups in February. If you are interested in leading a community group, you want to see Diane. Um, she's at the front. She'll help you kind of cover a little bit of some of the details about that and what that will look like. So, But we've got um, several things that are in the workings and people's passions that are coming out of what they want to be a part of as we go into the, um, the new year. And um, I'm going to ask Kathleen to come up. She's going to share a quick testimony of just some uh, provision of what the Lord's done for her. Um, we love testimonies in this house because we know that it is a, just a revealing of the Lord's nature and character and who he is for us. And it is always good. The Bible says that he is perfect in all of his ways, all of them. And so um, we're just going to celebrate this with Kathleen. Um, as most of you know, there's a baby boy right here who's going to be joining us in June. 
Yes, Jeremy, I'll do that. Um, so just real quick, we had a, my family was, my car was the family car. It was a Sonata. It only had five seats. Um, this makes number six. And so going into before having the baby, we were already saying we needed a new vehicle. Um, I got a yearly raise like I always do. Um, before taxes, it was $300. Um, I, for whatever reason, one morning when I was doing my devotional, I felt like I should be looking for vehicles. And then Toski joined in with me, and we found a Honda Pilot that was in Albany, and it ended up being the monthly payment, payment being $300. So it was just a wash, basically, and our insurance was even lower because of it. So, Amen. Woohoo! So the Lord provided for them a new vehicle to fit their family needs, so we're so thankful for that. Um, generosity in this house, you guys, is just, it's wonderful, and we're so thankful for that. You can give on the website, or if you do checks, there's a box up front. We are going to get ready um, but I, to dismiss our kids, but I want you to pause. So we are going to be doing something church-wide starting next week for our kids. The last five weeks, we have been talking about how our foundation is built um, strong on a rock, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and we measure everything from our lives from that cornerstone. And because we've been talking about their identity and who they are, um, starting next week, we are going to have something special for them out um, in the foyer here on the side. We're going to ask you to be praying for our kids over these next couple of weeks and asking the Lord, what are his thoughts and his plans and his ideas and what is his heart towards our kids? And then you're going to get to write those down on something special specifically for each child. So, um, so you'll get more details of that next week, but be praying this week about all of our kids. And so we are going to dismiss them. They are going to come hang out with me and Miss Suzette. And um, today we're going to be learning some more about their identity. So um, Pastor Dave's going to be back with his message in just a second. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bible or your screen, <laughs> we're going to be uh, working out of Romans chapter 12. So if you, if you want to turn there or flip there or swipe there, whatever works for you. Um, I have two Bibles, just in case you're wondering. I'm a pastor, so I have two Bibles up here. One in this one and then the big one in here. Actually, I have something like 25 Bibles in my iPad. It's kind of cool. <laughs> we're going to be talking out of Romans 12. We started a series a couple weeks ago um, 
called Discovering Your Purpose. And the whole idea behind this is we do grace teams, as Karen mentioned. Our grace teams are back in the back. That's the way we do ministry and how we serve one another uh, in, in our local church. Um, there's a bunch of those teams back there. We want to grow those teams more. So just because there isn't a team there that you fit into, if you're like, you know what, I have some gifts and some desires and some passions that lean into all these, this particular direction. If you'll let one of the leaders know, the biggest challenge for us is always this. We, we assume if there's no leader for a grace team or a ministry team, we don't start one. And the reason why is, and I want to get to this and we talk about the gift of leadership, that without a leader, um, we're not going to get anywhere. We're going to have a lot of what we call false starts where we try to do something. And when we try to do something and there's no leader for it, it very quickly begins to fall off and loses its focus and energy. And so it becomes a challenge. So we don't, we don't lead, we don't go into these teams and do anything at DCF without a leader in place to take that on. So if you have a leadership gift and there's a place that, you know, there's a place maybe that you would love to serve and you don't see that here at DCF, we would love to talk to you about what that looks like to build into. Uh, we talked about last week, we've um, been talking about this the whole time, there's three basic sets of gifts in Scripture. So I just want to put a picture up here, helps us kind of see, or, or sorry, a, um, a table, let's us see. So the fivefold gifts, manifestation gifts, and the grace gifts, and we've talked about these, um, and we'll continue to talk about these, because this is how God created the church to function, okay? And so the first one, fivefold gifts, not everybody has those. Um, those gifts are not about, you know, you hear often terms like clergy and laity. Someone says, you know, I went to Bible college. And if you're not careful, that can intimidate you and dissuade you from being a strong, healthy, mature believer. But there's nowhere in the Bible that says you ought to go to Bible college to be a strong, mature believer. As a matter of fact, I've met some people who went through Bible college, including myself, at times that was, <laughs> wasn't very mature. And so a lot of insecurity, a lot of uh, wrong teaching sometimes that comes out of some of those, those arenas. Um, so, but these gifts are for, they're not for everybody, but they're equipping gifts. They're designed to equip the, uh, God's people for their work, for the work of their ministry so that you guys can do what God's called you to do. Um, and I've met people who didn't have a whole lot of these five-fold ministry gifts speaking into them, or they weren't mature, and you can still grow up in the Lord, in the Lord because God gave us scripture. He gave you a relationship with the Lord so you can connect. You are your own priest with God. You do not need another priest to speak to God on your behalf um, or, or to speak instead of you, so you can connect with him. So just keep that in mind. It's helpful. Um, these gifts you see, Jesus said in Ephesians, um, he ascended on high and he gave these gifts to men. So it's, it, these, these gifts come from the Lord, from Jesus. Manifestation gifts, we talked a lot about. We believe in those. Um, we believe those are still available for us today, as we were talking about before. Um, there's a, a in, in uh, Corinthians 12, one of, the gifts, one of the gifts is called the gifts, plural, of healings, plural. And so it's an interesting concept because the Bible's not arbitrary in the way it explains things, right? And so when you see that, in the gift, there's not a gift of healing. There's gifts of healings. And manifestation gifts, they, they don't mean that you hold on to them all the time and you can just do it anytime you want, although that's somewhat true. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth was a famous preacher around the turn of the uh, uh, early 1900s, and uh, they asked him about how he walked in such signs and wonders and miracles, and he said, well, when the Holy Spirit doesn't move me, I move him. And, and a lot of people felt like that that was really kind of arrogant, but what he was saying was, he said, I've learned to recognize how the Holy Spirit moves in and through me, and so what I've done is I've just learned to be available all the time. 
So, so in, instead of waiting, there was growing up in a Pentecostal, well, not growing up, but getting saved into a Pentecostal movement, a lot of times the mindset was that the Bible says that he gave these gifts, these manifestation gifts, severally as he wills. And so the perspective was, we'll, we'll be in a service, we'll wait on the presence of the Lord. When the presence of the Lord was here, the anointing, then we would wait and see who God moved on. And there's truth in that. God chooses who, like you'll see this happen often on a Sunday morning. Someone will have a word this morning. Marcy had a picture. Uh, one of our elders um, came over and said, hey, Marcy's got a picture. And what we're, what we're doing is eldership in the role that we're playing, the fivefold ministry gifts, is saying how do we administrate what the Holy Spirit is doing among us in a meeting so that it can help equip you for the work that God's called you to do, right? So sometimes that's healing, sometimes that's equipping, but, but uh, healing is equipping, if that makes any sense. And so these manifestation gifts then are given severally as he wills, but we, we don't have to be in a service to walk in these gifts. You can be at lunch, you can be at a birthday party, you can be anywhere you want to be, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're a believer, so, so that valve never has to be turned off, right? So you can make yourself ready for the gifts of healings. That means often it's going to come different ways. Sometimes those gifts work in concert with one another. Um, one example is oftentimes you'll get a, a, a revelation gift. You'll get a word of knowledge about uh, somebody's elbow. And Because I've, I've seen this happen. Uh, I'll give you an example. We were in a service in, uh, in North Carolina, and uh, there was a, a word about somebody's ankle down, and, and they, that their ankles were broken. Or the, anyway, it turns out that in that particular meeting, there were three people who had, who had ankles that were broken, and all three of those people were healed instantly. One of them was a teenager in a cast. She went the next day. They took the cast off, and the doctor was absolutely dumbfounded. He's like, this, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. And it was a, it was a manifestation of God's gift in that moment. But someone was available who had a picture, a word of knowledge, and they stood up and they said, I feel like God wants to heal ankles. Well, how do you know? Because <laughs> in my head, I saw pictures of ankles that were broken, and I don't think he wants to break more ankles. I'm pretty sure that's not the way God wants to do this, right? So you see how they work together. So learning about the gifts, are, it's really important for us to learn about the gifts to, to, to really walk effectively as believers, not just for our own lives, of course that's true, but also releasing the kingdom into other people's lives. And so we talked about grace gifts. That's really what we've been talking about because the grace gifts are the ones that tie into how we serve and what we do. Uh, they're, they're, they're called natural abilities or strengths, um, but they're supernatural in origin. And that's what's helpful to remember is that even though they're, they seem natural, they're actually supernatural. They're given from God. It's very specific in how he, how he goes after them. Last week, we talked about prophecy was one of these gifts. They're found in various places, especially in the New Testament. Romans 12 is a big one. Uh, Peter has, 1 Peter has some. And what these gifts are, they're endowments that God gives into you that become a part of you. So you start, you know, most of you guys, we talk about, we joke about this all the time with, uh, with parents. And like, if you have a strong leadership gifted child, that, you know, there was a whole series of books still are written about them, about how to raise strong-willed children, right? <laughs> well, some of strong-willed children is just another way of saying tenacious, right? Um, what we call it stubborn, but that's the negative side of the gift that God has given them. And when you're a little kid and you have a leadership gift, guess who you use it for, right? And if you're 40 or 45 and you're still immature and childish, guess who you use your gifts for, right? You learned, you just, you're just selfish with your gifts. And so these gifts, are, they're put inside of us in the very beginning. And part of raising kids as a parent, part of parenting is, as the Bible says, is to raise up a child in the way that they should go. And the idea behind that is, is not just 
you know, honing their character and, and bringing them into a relationship with Jesus. Of course, those things are true, right? You want to be raised right in the South. Anybody ever heard that phrase, raised right? <laughs> so, but if you, don't, if you don't see and discern who your children are, the danger is you will try to raise them in the way that you want them to be, or you'll raise them according to your own gifting. And what's interesting about all of our giftings in these grace gifts is we tend to judge other people around us by our own grace gift, Right? So for a long time, learning this, I, I was like, why are mercy people just need to, come on, mercy people, you just need to step it up and kick this guy in the pants. I mean, you know, come on, he needs to, right? Because I have a strong leadership gift, and I'm like, hey, come on, let's, I have, I'm a visionary, like, hey, come on, let's go, and you know, what the, what's the problem? Well, the problem is they're so beat down that, you know, telling them they need to do better is really not helpful, <laughs> right? <laughs> but someone who comes, who has a mercy gift can come alongside them and put their arm around them and walk with them and go, hey, it's going to be okay. And they mix that with encouragement and some of these other gifts. And then they're in a place now where they're no longer beaten down. They're encouraged. They have someone gave them courage and they're lifted up. And then a leadership comes and says, hey, I see this on your life. And hey, let's go do these great things. And they're like, yeah, woo, let's go. But, you know, think of it in terms of military. If someone is well-equipped and ready to go into battle, those guys are easy to lead into battle. But if a guy's been shot a couple of times, the tendency is for not, him not to be super excited about going into battle at the moment. Does that make sense? So you see how these things work. So, so God, again, gives us these graces that enable us in specific areas. And Matthew 25 is a really interesting story because Jesus talks about this, and he talks about talents. This is the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. Um, so go back and read this. But he's talking about these, these guys. It says a, a, a wealthy guy go, goes away, and, and there's three guys there who are, turn out to be stewards. And he comes and he gives them talents. Um, you know, we can translate that to gifts, but it's actually money. So he gives them actual money, and he says, hey, I'm going away for a while. I want you to take what you've been given and invest it. And that's a picture of how we're supposed to work in our gifts, right? You have been given gifts. We talked about this last week. There's no doubt. So you need to take those gifts and invest those. And Jesus tells the story. He says, to one who had five, he gave five more, right? Or sorry, to one he gave five, he went, that guy went away and took that five. So a big talent, big gift, whatever you want to call it, really good at it, um, everything in place. You know, he was, he was healthy and mature, all those things. And he took that, that, those five talents and he made five more. And then a guy with two. So you get the story. The end of the story is very interesting, though. He gets to the last one. He gave him one talent, and this is what it says. Uh, it says, then he who had received the one talent came and said to the Lord. So he's, he's now being you know, held accountable. He says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. That's an interesting phrase, right? So, he's, so Jesus is telling this story about himself, right? So Jesus is going away. He gives gifts to me, and he literally says in Ephesians 4, and so it's a picture of those specific, but also generally. He says, he gave gifts to men. And now the accountability, the day of accountability is, hey, I gave you these gifts. What did you do with them? And some people said, some people went invested. They recognized to take what God has given me, I have to grow in it. I have to learn about it. I have to take steps of faith. I have to serve in teams if I'm going to get better at it. I'm going to have to receive, um, you know, someone's going to have to give me some feedback and, and a little bit of criticism maybe that's not always easy to hear, some challenge sometimes. You know, sometimes they kick you in the butt and say, come on, let's, let's serve in your gift. Quit your crying, you know. Again, that's just me. <laughs> but we get these guys, and, and we get them and release them. And so Jesus is telling the story of this one last guy, and he says, I knew you to be a hard man. Why didn't the other two guys say that? Isn't that interesting? The guy came into it with, God, this is not fair. You're not fair. You're asking me to do something I can't do. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not. I'm not asking you to do anything. I have equipped you. 
but you've, you've gotten something into your head that makes that somehow you're believing now this lie that you can't do what I have graced you and gifted you to do. And the flip side of that is, of course, is you can. Right? So Jesus is telling a story to challenge us to go, hey, I, I, I want to step into this. This is what the guy said. He said, I was afraid, so I took your gift and I buried it in the ground. I hid it in the ground. So what we don't want to do is take these gifts that God has given us and bury those gifts away, never to be used, not to be benefited by what God does in us, but also if we do that, we never, we never see the kingdom grow, and we never see the world, we never see the harvest because the church doesn't grow. There's an aspect that what you bring to the table is so valuable and important whether you know it or not. So part of this is take on the attitude that says, God, I've been given gifts. My expectation is as I grow in these and as I do this, there's going to be uh, as I invest, there's going to be a return. Amen? So let me, I'm going to go through these gifts. I went, last week, I went through all of one of them. <laughs> Started out with the gift of prophecy and how it was a grace gift, but it was also a unique gift because it covered all three. It was in all three areas of giftings. So it was a, it's a manifestation gift, a grace gift, and also a five-fold ministry gift. So it's very interesting. If you didn't, if you didn't hear about that one, go back and take a look. Because uh, it really helps in understanding how things work in the church sometimes. But the, first, the next one is called the grace to serve. And what's interesting about this gift is it doesn't, doesn't give a whole lot of details because how many, how many details do you really need to have to serve? <laughs> right? It's basically, hey, something needs to be done. Can you do it? Yes. Okay. We've covered all the details. Now get busy doing it. Right? So Romans 12, 7, if it's serving, so these gifts, if you've been given the gift of serving, then serve. Almost all of these are almost like, Duh, should come after every single one of these statements, right? It's like, you've been given the gift to serve, now serve. Now, here's what's interesting. I wonder why God says that, though, right? I wonder why sometimes God says some things to us that are obvious, and, and I think part of the answer is just because it's obvious doesn't mean I'm walking in obedience to it. So there's literally a step of faith that you have to take. There's a risk that you have to take, and you have to step out and go, Lord, I believe that you're going to meet me there. I believe you gifted me for what you've called me to do and equipped me to do. So I'm, I'm expecting you to actually do this. And if you don't understand grace, you won't do that. So that's a whole other, whole other series. Um, people who have this grace to serve find satisfaction in serving, preparing, supporting others. Um, again, Scripture doesn't give a whole long lesson about it. just kind of expects you to do it. And then it, it's, and, and then the other thing is people are often in this, who, who have this grace to serve, don't really want people to know about it. They don't want to be seen. So they often want to do it behind the scenes, don't care. Anybody knows about it, they just want to serve, they want to get it done. First Peter 4.11 is really interesting about this gift. It says, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. So it's not just a natural strength that you're using, because if you're serving in the kingdom, the natural strength will go away really, really fast. And you'll need a supernatural endowment, and that's what this is. So 1 Peter is basically saying that those who serve should serve in dependence on the strength that God supplies. So if you have a gift to serve, if you find yourself just really losing it, you're like, I can't do this anymore, probably what you're doing is you've been, you're taking things on you that really only belong to the Lord, right? So just keep that in mind. The second was grace to teach. Romans 12, again, 7, it says, if it's teaching, then teach. Very simple. And, and this is the grace God gives to some to make truth plain to others. It doesn't just mean preaching and teaching, although teaching, again, is also a fivefold manifestation gift, right? Um, it, it, you see this in teachers in school. You see this in teachers in, in, in corporate America, uh, in the military. Every avenue of society, you see this gift of teaching wor working. 
So here's a couple of guiding principles if you have the gift or feel like you have the gift of teaching. One is it's necessary to have experience in what you teach. Don't teach something you don't know about, at least biblically. Definitely don't do that. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.7 says they want to be teachers. It's talking about um, Pharisees. It says they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. <laughs> so the picture is if, you're not, if you have the gift of teaching, you'll teach about stuff you don't know anything about because you're good at it. You can teach it. But you're teaching from an empty source of knowledge with no experience and no practical understanding of how that actually works. See this all the time. I, I hear, I, have, I follow some guys online, some of the greatest teachers that, you know, that's ever lived in the body of Christ. I mean, it's, they're just phenomenal teachers. And if I said their names, you'd know who they were. And a bunch of these guys are cessationists, which means they don't know, you know, they don't believe that the, five, or the five-fold ministry gifts are all there, you know, the threefold, five-fold they don't believe in apostle or prophet. They also don't, don't trust in the manifestation gifts. They believe those died um, in, the, in the founding of the church. And so they will teach about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 with zero understanding of how they work. <laughs> and I'm like, if, that, if you were my mechanic and you knew nothing about a car and you were working, what is my expectation for that kind of mechanic? He going to make my car better or worse? See how that works? And so scripture goes on. It says teachers will be judged in stricter standards. This is James 3 1. So why is it so powerful? And why, when I step up to teach or preach, and when you step up to teach or preach, especially in the kingdom, in kingdom things, it, it should get your attention. It should really challenge you. So this is what James 3 says. It says, not many of you should presume to be teachers. In other words, don't just assume that that's what you're going to be doing, teaching in the body of Christ. It says, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So this is not about being judged for your sin. That's not what this is talking about. But there is an accountability that Jesus speaks into, and, uh, and it, he goes after it, because what happens when you teach is you create a picture of who God is. So if you teach and preach uh, a mixture of grace and legalism, which is what a lot of churches have done, unfortunately, because they've been taught that by their pastors and by their leaders before them, you teach a mixture of grace and, and legalism, you, you, paint, you paint a picture of God that is untrue. We shared this morning about ascribing to God what is, what is God's and not the enemy's. So often we find ourselves in this mess and we're wondering why we're not seeing breakthrough. And, we're, and, and I'm just going to be honest, we're, sometimes it's because we're grumbling and we're complaining. We're like, God, you, God, you, God, you, God, I wish you. And, and then you say things like, well, I'm just being honest. I'm just being authentic. Go read the Psalms. David was as honest and as authentic as anybody you've ever met in your life. He would say some of the toughest things you'll ever read in Scripture. But it, was, it, it never ascribed to God something that belonged to the enemy. It was always, here's how I am and feel, but I don't trust that, Lord, so <laughs> this is who you are. And, and so he takes what he's feeling and sensing in the circumstances, and, he, and then he turns around and he says, I'm going to ascribe what's really to, to God, I'm going to ascribe to him what is only his and not the enemy's or not even my own mindset. So you paint a picture when you teach of who God is. If you're teaching kids, uh, let me give you an example. I was at a church one time. Um, there was a family there during the day. Where I was on staff. I wasn't the pastor. And I happened to be walking through the auditorium to get to the other side of the church. <clears throat> it was a big church. And there was a little boy who belonged to the family who was there, and he got loose. Anybody y'all know what I'm talking about? So he got loose, and he was running. So now he's running through the auditorium, and he's running across the front of the platform. The pastor just happened to be walking through, and the pastor yelled at him 
and, and I mean literally screamed at him. It was embarrassing for me. And he screamed at him and said, said how dare you do that in, in the house of the Lord, in the, you know, in, a, in the holy sanctuary is what he said. And I thought, what a horrible thing to do to a little boy. So that little boy was like, I found a room with a big open space, a climbing area, <laughs> right? And I'm just being a little boy doing what little boys do, right? And, and I'm having fun. And what that pastor just taught me was God does not want you to have fun. That's the first thing he taught him. Second thing he taught him was God is in this room, but not in you. Now, he wasn't teaching in the front like this. But his mindset and how he was teaching people, it, it's worth really thinking about. So, again, it, I'm not trying to dissuade you. I'm just saying as we learn these gifts, it's important to do them the way God called us to do these gifts and to operate in them because it really matters. It affects people's lives, and, and we're held accountable. One example is we talk about when people say, I don't really see a picture of, like, you know, the fivefold ministry gifts or especially, like, the, the role of elders. I mean, it's, the Bible doesn't say much about that, only that's not true at all, but they often don't see it. So one example is in the first part of the book of Revelation, there's this uh, beautiful picture of this, these seven churches. And the Bible says to the, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, and he goes through all these different churches, say this. So the thing is, we've read that, and because it uses the word angel, and it's translated into English as angel, it's the same word that's used for um, John the Baptist, which was messenger. So he's saying, if they translated fully, it would say, to the messenger of the church of Ephesus, say these things. And what he does is he then tells him, I love these things about you as the leader of this church. The person that I'm holding accountable, even though there's a plurality of eldership, right? There's a first among equals. This is what scripture teaches. And in that first among equals, God doesn't say, say this to the team. So he says, he says, say this to the person that I have given authority, and because I've given, or given responsibility because of that, I've given them authority to change it. He says, I love these things about you, but I have this against you. See that? And so the picture is, you, you've been given great gifts, and, but God's challenge to you is, if you've been given a gift, you've been given a responsibility for the gift, but at the same time, You've also been given authority to use that gift in a, in a good way. We, we talk about this, right? There's a big, uh, big conversation in America right now about guns. And uh, I like guns. I grew up with guns, hunting, all those kind of things. So I have a perspective about it that other people don't have. Um, and, and again, I have, I'm not want to have the conversation about guns, but guns, the guns are just tools. So let's switch that to, you know, uh, an assault hammer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so uh, there's no such thing as an assault hammer. There's only a hammer. So you can use a hammer to build someone a house, or you can use a hammer to hit somebody in the head and kill them. But the hammer only did what the person who had it told it to do. And so if you think of your gift that way, God has given you something that is powerful and potentially dangerous if you get it wrong. But that shouldn't dissuade you. It should just hold you, hold you in a place of, hey, this is important. I need to get this right. I need to learn and grow in this. But when you have it, it's a powerful thing. And again, for a hammer, you can build not just your own house, but you can build other people's houses as well because it's a tool that God has given us. So the next one is grace to encourage. I love this one. Uh, Romans 12, 8, if, it, if, if your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. So it, it literally means to, to, to take courage and give it to somebody who doesn't have it. So the assumption is if you have the gift of encouragement, you're a courageous person. <laughs> you just come by it naturally. You're just like, I've just got a lot of courage. You might be soft and gentle and kind and all those things, but you're full of courage if you have this gift. 
And it literally means to come alongside. That's what the original language word means. To help someone be ready and willing to face negative situations. The gift to encourage is a powerful gift. Barnabas had this. The Bible called Barnabas. His name literally meant son of encouragement. And so Barnabas, you see this in Acts 9. It says when Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. I wonder why, Paul, because he was killing Christians everywhere he went, right? And he had a conversion. Sure he did, but he ain't coming to my Bible study, right? (laughs) That's kind of what they were saying. And listen to what it says. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, and then he basically, he, he came alongside Paul and he encouraged him. He, he went to bat for him with the, with the other apostles. And it goes on, there's a beautiful, I mean, it goes through, it's just so incredible, some of the scriptures, I don't have time to go into it. But uh, one time Barnabas goes and finds Saul in Tarsus. He's, he's, he's been sent to Antioch. In Antioch, there are Christians there, new Christians. And, and Barnabas sees the situation and says, we need Paul in his gift. And she goes to to Tarsus, which was a really long, tough journey, and goes and finds him, and he was languishing there, as the Bible talks about. And he got him, encouraged him, and brought him back. So much of Paul's ministry is because Barnabas had the gift of encouragement. So often you see successful ministries and think, boy, that guy's so gifted and talented and speaks like angels. And behind that man, I promise you, is about a 1,000 people with the gift of encouragement because he would have quit a long, long time ago if someone didn't encourage him. Probably his wife, mostly, but that's just <laughs> that's another story. So this is what's interesting about this gift. It's linked with rebuke. Think about the gift of encouragement is almost always linked with rebuke in the New Testament. So Titus 2.15, these then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. So don't, don't just be nice. There's nothing in the Bible that says be nice. It says be kind. Those aren't the same things, right? So you can rebuke as you encourage. As a matter of fact, if you're rebuking someone, you you better give them a dose of encouragement or they're going to not be able to receive it very easily. 1 Thessalonians, we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. You've heard me do this. I've challenged all of us. If you're not serving in a grace gift, I recognize some of you guys are in a season that's really tough. I get it. But some of you guys have been in a season that's really tough for the last 15 years. How long is your season going to last? At some point, see my gift of mercy coming out? (laughs) At some point, I'm doing what he said for us to do, warn those who are idle. Why? Because part of you serving in your gift is for you. It's for the body, but it's also releasing God's grace into you, teaching you about who you are, and, and there's something that happens when you co-labor with God. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. See how they're tied together often? And it's best used in maturity and dependence on the Holy Spirit when you're encouraging someone. I do this all the time. I'll come in and I'll challenge somebody. The old adage was, if you're going to challenge somebody, say something nice to them, Challenge them and say something nice to them, right? That's not a bad philosophy, but the Bible just says, hey, with your rebuke, bring encouragement. With your encouragement, there's probably something that you need to correct because more than likely, you're encouraging them not because just the devil is beating them up, although that's, that's sometimes true. Sometimes they have brought it upon themselves. So coming along God and go, oh, you're okay, when something inside your heart goes, you're really not okay. <laughs> and if you keep doing this dumb thing, all I'm ever going to do is have to encourage you because it's going to keep putting you in the same pit. See how it works? So the next one is the grace to give. This is a really interesting gift. Romans 12:8 says, if it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. So first of all, 
Generous giving is a mandate the entire church shares. I mentioned this before. Um, I don't have the gift of mercy. That doesn't mean I don't show mercy because God commands me in the New Testament. He has given me the ability to do what he's called me to do, so he's holding me accountable. So he says, show mercy to one another. Show mercy. It doesn't say show mercy, but only if you have the gift of mercy. Show mercy if it's easy. So not what it says. Love your enemy if they're, you know, not mean to you. Right? We know better. So it's difficult for me to show mercy. Doesn't mean I don't have to show mercy. As a matter of fact, I better be diligent about how I show mercy because there's a good chance I could be showing mercy and I'm not. Right? So that makes sense, right? So uh, again, there are specific individuals God has graced to give in a way that supersedes the norm of being a generous giver as, as, as a Christian. There's so much I could go into this just about our giving and how God opens the door. I was talking with somebody the other day about this, about our giving. We think that our giving is about helping people. Think about this for a second. Just take this in, into, in, into your mind. Um, the Bible says God owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills. He also owns the hills. He also owns the air they breathe and the planet they're sitting on. You see where I'm getting? Nothing exists without him. We, the Bible says we have our being, in, we live and breathe and have our being inside of him. God does not need your money. So why should you give? Well, it's not because God needs your money. So, and that's huge. When you understand that, first of all, it's not your money. <laughs> you're bought with a price, you're not your own, and you, have, you owe a gift, or sorry, a debt of love. What you are is a steward of somebody else's money. This gift you've been given is not yours. It belongs to somebody else. It's been given to you so you could steward it well. All of giving, everything about your finances. In the Old Testament, you know, we talked about the tithe was 10%. It actually wasn't. The tithe was at least 23% if you were an Israelite. Because you had to give to the poor. You also had to give towards the feast. There was tons of things you had to give to that was requirement of the law, right? And even then, Deuteronomy says, don't forget the Lord when you gain wealth because it is he who has given you the ability to gain wealth. Everything you have is his. And so learning how to give is not about you giving money to the church or you. It's not about that at all. It does something to you when you realize that everything you have has been given you by someone else. Why? Because you get the understanding then that you are not the source. The job you're working at right now or the career you have is not your source. None of those things are your source. Who is your source? We're going we're gonna to wrap up with a scripture that talks about that. But it's important to understand all of us are called to do this, right? But in view of God's generosity, how, how can we allow stinginess? If God is so generous, how can we be stingy with the things he's, he's given us? John, uh, 1 John three seventeen says, If anyone has material possessions, sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? See, when you become stingy, you've, something's wrong inside of you. You've been hurt about money. You are fearful about money. You've been, some, someone has taught you that God will not be there for you, and so you ascribe to him something that's not true of him. Again, Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, Remember the Lord your God. It's he who gives you the ability to make wealth. So here's the thing that happens with the grace of giving. You typically are wealthy. Now, I say this all the time, um, everybody's supposed to give. The Bible speaks to the, to the one who gave the most was the, the, the lady who gave the, the two, you know, pence or pennies or mites or whatever, and Jesus said, look, she's, she's given more generously than everybody else, because she gave from not her abundance, but from her need, right? 
So, so that's the picture, right? So that's why the percentage in the Old Testament was you gave 10 or 23% if you want to be accurate. You gave a percentage. So it didn't matter how much money you had. The percentage was required. In the New Testament, God says he wants to remind us everything we have belongs to God. So if in the Old Covenant, 10% was the shadow of giving, what would the New Testament, because it's now in grace, what would that look like? Would it just be 10% or would it be more? But here's the picture of it. God is painting a picture with the 10% or the 23% that what you have doesn't belong to you. And it was always about giving the first fruits. When Karen and I write our check to the church, we typically we write the check to the church first. Because it's not to the church. It has DCF on, in that line. But we're giving to God and to the kingdom, not because the kingdom needs it or any of those things, right? God uses it, but he doesn't need it. The reason we do that is because God has done something in us and reminding us that everything we have is from him anyway. And then on top of that, from time to time, we'll help somebody out. We'll talk about, hey, let's take this month and put aside 100 bucks, and we'll just give it to somebody, and we're not going to tell them who, who it is, right? We'll get somebody else to give it on, on our behalf. And so again, and I'm, I, I can grow in this too, but the idea behind this is if you are a generous giver, especially if you have the grace gift, God has said, I can trust this person to give generously, right? Because, and so because of that, I will create in them oftentimes the ability to make wealth in this world. So a lot of times people who, who can give much, I've met tons of amazing givers, millionaires, who give way more than you would imagine. They give way more of the percentage than you would imagine. And I've met some people who are poor, who are the greediest, stingiest people you've ever met in your life. I was one of them. And one reason why is because, because I was in need, because I'd grown up poor, my mindset was there were limits to what God could do in my life. And I just, because I, it was all about me, right? And it was all about what I had been given. And then I learned that as I was able to give, God released his river of, of, gift, of giving and river of generosity into me as he released it through me. So anyway, I'll leave it there. But if you have the gift of giving, it's awesome. I love it. Two, two things about this or one more thing about this, um, and it's true of all the gifts. When in, in the 90s, when the prophetic was rising to a place of prominence in churches, one of the things you saw was the pendulum swung. It, it, it didn't exist, and it swung way too far. And so prophets were immature and insecure a lot of times, and so they would stand up and they would prophesy these big things, but their character was not in line with who they ought to be, right? So because of that, pastors often were intimidated by the prophetic gifting, um, and what we learned, there's many books written about this, but what we learned was, is you don't get to lead your church with your gift, right? So, so we have elders who oversee the church, and they're not always the same elders. Over the last 45 years of this church, there have been many, many different elders and different roles in the church, but, or, or in that playing in that role in the church. So it's not about the person necessarily, it's about the role that God calls them to play. They have, have to have character, uh, Timothy and Titus speaks to the character that you have to have if you're going to operate in that role, right? Because you're, you're, it's to oversee the church. Now, all that to say that that overseer can do that well or he can do that poorly. Again, going back to Revelation chapter 1. But what's powerful about this is when you recognize that giving is, not, is, is something that God uses to help generate wealth and help move the kingdom forward, purchases buildings, ministry, pays salaries, it does all those things, right? But the picture behind that is the giver doesn't lead the church. The elders have that role. So the prophetic in the 90s was leading the church. So they were, you know, 
kind of in a, in a strange sort of way, but they would say things, and the, and the pastor's intimidated, so he would do what the prophet was telling him to do, and the church turned into a mess, right? Why? Because we had it out of order. Same thing is true with giving. Sometimes you've seen churches where givers will come and go, hey, I want to give this gift, but you have to use it this way. And that's happened before, in, in, not in this church, but it's happened before in my ministry. And I just simply say to them, hey, thanks for the gift, um, but the elders are the ones who decide what to do with the money. <laughs> and sometimes in the past, they're like, well, then I won't give it. And I'm like, okay. Let me know how that works out for you. Right? And I know it's a bit heavy, but the reason why is I also had people come and say, I'm going to give you an example of the prophetic. lady came and she said, I see, I see a picture of, of uh, demons lying up as far as the eye can see, and they're standing in front of the desk, and the devil's sitting there, and he's handing out assignments against us as a church. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I looked at her, and I said, I don't know about you, but I'm about to go have Chinese food. Now, why did I do that? Because her gift was leading her, and she was trying to let her gift lead us as a church. So what I know is no weapon that is formed against me will prosper. So it wasn't that I wasn't appreciative of the gift that she just shared. I just said, hey, thanks so much. I'm, I was a bit facetious. Beyond, I was trying to prove a point, <laughs> and we talked about that later. But my point was, I appreciate that. I don't deny that, that you saw that. I believe that's true. I just deny that it has that kind of authority over your life or mine or the life of this church because that's not how that works. Same thing is with, with giving. If someone wants to give and they say, I want to manipulate and use, I want to take my gift and manipulate and use it but to lead the church or to, do, to get people to do what I want, it's a misuse and an abuse of a wonderful, amazing gift that God has given. But so often in the church, we've been afraid to have that conversation because the mindset is, if I do that, I'm going to lose big givers. Well, who's your source? Who's your source? If you're a pastor, who's your source? And if that creates a fear in you, I'm not saying that, that you don't have conversations with them about those things and help them and encourage them to give. Nothing wrong with that. Any more than I would come to you and go, hey, if you have a mercy gift, I really need you to step up in that gift and show that because we really need that in our body. See how it works? What about the grace to lead? I was kind of getting into that one just now, <laughs> right? So here's the thing about the grace to lead. It's such a beautiful gift. Um, my friend Greg teaches these gifts probably better than anybody I know. And one of the things he talks about is each set of gifts has something he calls a gateway gift. It's a gift that opens the door into all the other aspects of those gifts. So the manifestation, sorry, the, the five-fold gifts, um, you know, pastor, teacher, evangelist, uh, prophet, apostle, the gateway gift for them, for those five manifestations, or sorry, five-fold gifts, is the prophet. And the reason why is prophets often call out the gifts in other people. They go, I see a gift of, you know, apostleship on your life, or I see the teaching gift on you, or I see this. And so they'll speak that because God has given them a firm correction and direction ability to equip the body. So they'll speak to that. They'll confirm it often, and they'll speak into that. It's beautiful. It's a gateway gift that opens the door to all the other gifts. Um, in the manifestation gifts, it's tongues. Now, why is that? Super practical reason. If you can speak in tongues, none of the other supernatural gifts are going to intimidate you. Because tongues makes no sense. They, and it really, we're using an archaic word. It means the gift of languages. Tongues was just a you know, King James version of languages, right? So maybe we could move into that and take some of the weirdness off of it. But the idea behind it is if God gives me the tongue of angels or the tongue of, of somewhere else that I don't know, that is a big faith jump in the manifestation gifts. See? 
So if you can walk into the gift, because very interesting, the gift of tongues starts something, and I'm not talking about speaking in tongues as a personal prayer language. We'll get into teaching some of that later. But as a gift to the body, a manifestation gift in the body, what tongues does is it opens a door that says, ta-da, somebody else do something with that. So it takes a lot of faith to give a message in tongues and then just sit there and wait. The Bible says if you, if there's, if you do that and there's a manifestation gift of tongues, then take a minute and say, Lord, I'm willing to interpret that, right? We just had this happen in, our, in one of our leadership meetings recently. Jen, she said, I, I feel like I have a, a message in tongues. I'm like, all righty then. Let's see where that goes. <laughs> it's the end of our meeting, right? And so we were, we were praying, gave some space for that. And I'm sitting there waiting. And I'm, in my head, I'm like, Lord, there's 20 other people in this room who are highly qualified interpreting the gift of tongues. Very prophetic, you know, super revelatory. Woo, Lord, use them. And it's quiet. And then I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, if you want, um, I'll do it. Oh, there it is. And so I start feeling this thing, and I see this picture, and next thing you know, I interpret the gift. But here's the whole point. My gift of interpreting that tongue, right, that's what the Bible talks about, was easy. <laughs> Jen had the hard part because she's like, I'm going to put this out there. If nobody helps and God doesn't give it to me, it's going to look silly. The point is, is God uses these gateway gifts to open the door to all these other gifts. This gift in the grace gifts of leadership is the gateway gift to all other grace gifts. The leadership gift opens the door to mercy. Opens it. This is why so often pastors and teachers and you know, elders often have this gift of leadership. Why? Because it opens the door to all the other grace gifts. What I'm doing this morning in a big way, teaching, speaking, there's a bunch of gifts that I'm using, but a big part of that is to encourage you to go back there and sign up and get busy doing what God made you to do for your sake and the sake of the body. Right? So a couple things about this, it means to, the leadership gift, it means to stand in front. You don't lead from the back, right? Nobody has respect for the lieutenant who stands back and sends the sergeants in to fight his battles, right? They frag him. They, he gets a, he gets a <laughs> in Vietnam, literally, that happened. They get a, a grenade, rolls into the tent, and they get a new lieutenant for some reason, right? It's terrible, but the whole idea behind it was that kind of leader, we don't, know, we don't want anything to do with him. So this is Timothy 3.4. He says he must manage his own family well. Why? It's very interesting. that God wants to call you into the gift of leadership and release that leadership. Part of the requirement is God says, if you can't lead your family, you have no business leading in the church. That's a big challenge, especially if you have high-capacity people in your family. I speak from experience. <laughs> My wife has tremendous capacity, and to lead her to be um, the first among equals in my marriage, right, is the way the Bible speaks to it, means sometimes I have to recognize that Karen's gifting and her strength is way above mine in certain areas. So I can't be intimidated by that. I can't be insecure about that. But I also can't let her lead in a places that God has called me as a husband, as a father, to lead. So, and, and, and it goes back after this in a big way. 1 Thessalonians 5, everybody celebrates leadership, says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. So that's that gift of leadership. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So this, the, the guys who lead well, hold them in highest regard. What about the people who don't lead well? Recognize that the gift is still valid, but maybe their character is broken. And that's okay, right? But you don't respond to broken character in leaders. Nobody does. Matthew 20, 25, Jesus called them together. So here's a picture of, of biblical leadership. 
He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. We already know where this is going, right? Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. So if you are in a leadership capacity or you want to walk in the leadership gift and that begins to rise to the, to the front, the tendency is to stand in front because you're gifted to do it. The problem with that is if you are selfish, you stand in front for yourself, not in service to others, right? And so Jesus is saying, this, this is how the world does it. This is not how we do it in the church. Here's one of the big problems in the church is we think that the church should operate the same way my corporate office does or a nonprofit agency. Those are different kinds of government. The corporate world, military is executive government. That means you just tell people what to do. Nothing else matters. You do it because you have executive authority to make their life all kinds of hell if they don't do it, right? I'll fire you and get somebody new. You can't do that in the church. You can't lord it over people. You have to serve them. So it goes on. It says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. That's powerful, right? Just as the Son of Man did, or didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Second Corinthians, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. I, I have to, I'm called to lead you, but not to lord it over you as I do. I'm called to lead you and serve you. So that's where someone says, hey, I have the gift of giving or I have the gift of prophecy, and they come as an eldership team, and they say to us, you know, I want to kind of manipulate the church with my gift. And we say, no. <laughs> Better would be to do this. We don't beat them up. We don't lord it over them. We just say, hey, I think you're misusing your gift in a way. Can I talk to you about that? And here's the thing about this gift in leadership. If people don't receive your gift, then that's on them, not on you. But don't put people in a position where they don't receive your gift because of you. Does that make sense? So um, it should be marked by a servant's heart and also modeling. This is a picture in, in the Bible. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life, not just the words they say. Don't do as I say and not do as I do, right? That's why it's important. If you're trying to figure out whether you should be a part of DCF, get to know Karen and I, get to know the elders, get to know deacons, get to know the leaders. Because if they're not healthy, this church is not going to be healthy, right? It's not how it works. Uh, Philemon 4.9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Right, this is Paul. Timothy as well. Uh, you, however, knew all about my teaching and my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. They saw it in him, and he said, hey, you want to be like Jesus? I'll, I'll give you a picture of who Jesus is. Now, I'm not Jesus, but he's in me, and I'll give you a picture of him so that you can grow up into everything God's called you to be in Jesus as well. So, grace to show mercy, Romans 12, 8. If it's showing mercy... Let him do it cheerfully. Here's what's interesting. Go and read these passages. If, it, if your gift is to show mercy, right, if you have a mercy gift, listen to what it says. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There's nothing worse than someone who grumbles about showing mercy. <laughs> right? Stupid people always problem. Right? <laughs> it's like, like, show them mercy or don't show them mercy. But look, that's where they are. Just meet them where they are, okay? So it says don't, it literally says don't, listen to Micah 7 eight. It's so funny because cheerful mercy is what reflects God's heart, right? This is why it, these are all pictures of him. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. I delight to show mercy. Why? Because I can see past the brokenness, right? 
and see what my gift of mercy is going to release them to be. That's a beautiful picture. But if you're, if you're not careful, if you're trying to do it in your own strength, you will not show mercy with cheerfulness. You'll be, you'll be begrudging and even refuse to do it. So don't do that. Um, it's a God-given gift to care for people who are suffering. Covers all kinds of actions, visiting, attending the sick, caring for the poor, orphans and compassion for orphans and widows, uh, kindness to believers who are suffering, suffering emotionally. Our Part of the big part of why we do community groups, grace teams and community groups, is it gives us a chance to be involved in one another's lives so we can show mercy when mercy is needed. How much more is a person with the gift of mercy important in a community group or in a grace team, right? So it's like, how does the gift of mercy work with kids' church? Well, one, those kids' church leaders need your gift of mercy, right? But so do the kids. It's amazing how it works. So I'm, I'm almost done. So grace to show hospitality. I talked about this one a little bit last week, Romans 12, 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. First Peter says, again, very interesting, says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So no, if you have the gift of hospitality and you don't like people in your house, you have, you have a dichotomy. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So figure out, if you have the gift of hospitality and you don't like people, you have probably been hurt. And you need to, honestly, you've been hurt and you need to find healing and wholeness in your life because we need your gift of mercy. We need your gift of generosity. We need the gift of hospitality. How can I do that in, in grace teams? How can I do that in community group? Maybe you don't feel qualified to lead a, a community group, but you could have it at your house. And you can make people feel so welcome. Man, that's a huge gift, creating an environment where people can come in and God can move amongst them. It's an amazing thing. Um, Romans 12, 13, share with God's people. Practice hospitality. Again, do it without grumbling. Um, the command is not to meet your quota of how many people you had in your house, <laughs> right? It's to be the kind of person that doesn't resent having to be hospitable. That's what part of this gift is about. It's also, interestingly enough, not only a gift, but it's a character requirement for elders. Titus 1.8 says, rather, talking about an elder, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must be hospitable. You can't be an elder if you're not hospitable. You can't. Now, do you have the gift of hospitality? Sometimes. My wife has that gift in spades. I have it not in spades. <laughs> I don't have nearly as big a gift as, as she does. I love to have people in my house, but some people, you people need to go home, all right, at some point. Just, I've had, I love you, go home, <laughs> all right? Anybody else? No, just me? Okay, my bad. All right, I'm being a little bit vulnerable. I apologize. <laughs> uh, boundaries, this is important. If you have the gift of hospitality, mercy gifts, especially some of these other gifts, because it's so easily to get taken advantage of. So here's part of the understanding it has clear boundaries, and it's not a service to the excess of others. That's why I said, honestly, if people are taking advantage of your hospitality, your gift is not to be a doormat. I don't know where we got that as Christians. It's got to be nice. Sometimes you go, we say this, if you hang around here too long. One, we love that people hang around DCF after the service is over. It's a picture of the love that we have for one another. But at some point, all of us, whoever's locking up is like, <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here right? So don't take advantage of people's hospitality. Grace to help. This is a big one. 1 Corinthians 12 um, says, you're the body of Christ, members individually. God has appointed those in the church, first apostles, prophets, teachers, 
miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. So this is a mix of all the different gifts together. Helps is, is a lot like serving, but in, in one sense, helps is more about serving a lot of times leaders in, in, the, in the body of Christ because they'll, they'll just do what is necessary. They don't need to be asked. They'll just get stuff done. So I, I won't go into that. I'm gonna, uh, our notes will be up, on the, uh, I mean, up online. But Joseph is a great picture of, of this gift of helps. He was a help to his father with his flocks. He was a help to Potiphar and his entire household. He was a help to the jailer by running things well. And finally, he was a help to Pharaoh in the administration of the accumulation and, and, and dispersing of the grain. So it's a big picture of the gift of helps in the Old Testament. Um, last one I'm going to talk about is uh, the grace to administrate. And I want to take a little bit of time. So forgive me, I'm going a little bit over. I apologize, but I really want to, want to help people understand this one. When someone senses that the, the gift of administration, right, this one just mentioned, it's in the same passage, 1 Corinthians uh, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Again, it's a, mix, it's a mix of all the different kinds of, of gifts. But this gift of administration is a powerful gift. The word used here was the word that they use for the helmsman of a ship. My wife has this gift in spades, the gift of administration, right? And you'll understand, if you know her, you'll kind of get this as we talk about this. So when she first discovered that, she was a bit put off because in her mind, administrators were people who were secretaries, people who worked with forms and all kinds of stuff, and, and my wife doesn't like doing that, right? It's not her thing. But we had a great conversation with a leader, and he said, he said, that is not at all what this gift is. He said, I mean, some people do love paperwork, and, you know, we had a friend who was a, had the gift of administration. She came to me one time, and, or I went, walked up on her desk. She was my church secretary, and I'm like, are you making a form? She's like, I am. She's almost like she got caught looking at porn. And I was like, what, what are you do? Why are you making a form? Did I ask you to make a form? She goes, no, I do that for fun. I'm like, you are a sick person that would make a form for fun. And some of you guys are going, that's me, that's me. <laughs> then probably you have a gift administration, right? But here's the bigger picture. It's not just that, but forms are just a tool for it because a helmsman was not the, he, he was not the captain of the ship. But he, he was the one who had his hand on the steering wheel, so to speak, right? And he paid attention to the sails and the rudder and the people. He wrote out shifts. He made sure everybody was healthy and whole, nobody falling overboard. And so the captain would come and go, hey, we're leaving here and we're going there. And the helmsman's responsibility was to do everything that it took and coordinate with people and things to get us there. Now that, I don't know if you realize, is a very, very, very powerful gift. And those who have that gift, there's a couple things about this because it's so important is so misunderstood in the church. Because somewhere along the way, you know, I talk about wisdom and power groups. Wisdom groups love the grace gifts, scared to death of the manifestation groups, right? And, but it's the flip side. The Pentecostals love the manifestation gifts. Some, they like a bunch of these other grace gifts, but the gift of administration is quenching the spirit. That's what we call it. Because <laughs> it's like, um, we just need to wait on the Lord and do what the Holy Spirit tells us. We're just going to give the Holy Spirit reign in this place. And it's like, and so you go into, and forgive me if, if you've been there, because I have, because I led churches like this, and the place is a train wreck. Because their administrative giftings are pushed back and said, that's quenching the Spirit, when all it really is is coming alongside what's God, what God's doing through the Holy Spirit and putting things in place to make that the most effective service or ministry that it possibly can be. So the picture isn't that the gift of administration works against God. The gift of administration works with God in a million different ways to release people into the kingdom, to release things, resources, all those things. And often it's behind the scenes. 
Um, some of you guys know Beth Godwin. Beth, was a, she was our church administrator for a while, um, and she has a gift of administration like through the roof. She's amazing. If you guys know her, she, you know she's amazing. And I remember one time she and I had a conversation because she was trying to use the gift of administration to lead the church. <laughs> she laughs about this all the time. And I went to her, I said, honey, I love your gift, but it's not the gift of elder. That's a role, and you can't play it with your gift. It's good that elders have the gift of administration. They can use those gifts in that role. You understand, right? But I said, what you can't do is try to lead the church with your gift. I said, here's the thing. Our eldership team is going to frustrate the living daylights out of administrative gifts. You know why? Because we're captain of the ship. Well, Jesus is the captain, but we're the ones coming and saying, hey, we're going to take the church this direction, take the church this direction. The problem is we just told them that three or four months ago where we were going because we're listening to the Lord and taking us down this road, right? And we're seeing changes and adjustments now that we've accomplished those things to go in a different direction. The problem is the gift of administration has got everything perfect. And now I come and just mix it all up, (laughs) right? Some of you guys with the gift of administration going, I hate people like you, (laughs) right? But here's the thing. What you have to do is recognize that the gift is you can't overstep the boundaries of your gifts in any of these gifts. What you can do is you come alongside and say, how do I fit in the body of Christ if I have a role to play, if I'm a father, if I'm a mother, if I'm a husband, if I'm a wife, if I'm an elder or a deacon, if I'm a, if I'm a, a, a CEO or I'm a manager, whatever, those are roles that we all play, right? But we play those roles with incredible gifts that God has given us. The gift of administration is a powerful gift when it's used well. The gift of mercy is an incredible gift when it's used well. The gift of leadership, the worst thing that can happen in the gift of leadership is immature and insecure leaders who take the gift of leadership and try to build themselves up with it or manipulate people with it. And that's true of every single gift. So I want to challenge you. Again, we've gone a little bit long. I apologize. But I want to challenge you guys. As you step in these gifts, if you will learn how God made you, right, that you are unique There's nobody else like you and there's never been anybody else like you. But in many ways, we're so similar because we have different giftings, but we can identify them. We have different personalities, but we can identify all of these. So they're in categories and they work together. They're complex. But God puts us into a local church. He puts us into a family. All these things work together. Why? Because he has a purpose. And the picture behind this is not we're all waiting. We've got these great gifts and we're sitting back waiting. God just... Just do what you're going to do, right? You ever said that? And God's like, I, I have, <laughs> and I will, but I need you to co-labor with me. I was telling somebody, I said, imagine that you, when you first are trained in a gift, uh, I did this with my little nephew when he was a little tiny thing. Um, he was at our house, and I said, hey, buddy, will you help me take the trash out? And he said, sure. And so he came over, and he put his hands on it. It was heavy. He put his hands on it. He was not holding any of the weight. I'm not that kind of uncle, <laughs> Well, I am, but I wasn't that day. So we walk out to the trash can, and, and, I, and I'm saying, great job, buddy. That's awesome. Yeah, keep your hands on it there. Now help me lift it up. Pick it up. Okay, we got to, oh, and I put it in, and I've got, and I turn around and go, you're amazing. And he's like, yes, I am. Right? <laughs> because he was three, right? And so when we're young in our gifts, so often God does so much of it for us and then celebrates us if we just lean in a little bit. But at some point, God is saying, I want you to grow up in your gift as a believer. I want you to take responsibility for what I've gifted you to do because I have given you the power and the authority to get it done. 
but do it within the confines of the character and the grace and stewardship and the connection with all the other gifts and roles that you are connected to. Do it in the way that builds one another up in love and doesn't tear it down. And when we do this well, then the gift of mercy comes along and a gift of mercy is shown to someone who doesn't deserve mercy. That is literally what mercy is for, people who don't deserve it. Right? It's God, favor is God's gift to us um, in spite of us. God's mercy is we deserve punishment and we don't get it. So when you show the gift of mercy in a supernatural way, it's, it's natural in origin. I mean, natural in, in, in how it works out, but supernatural in origin. When you do that, you paint a picture of God in people's lives. They see God maybe for the first time ever in their lives because they see him through your gift and through your character and through your love and through your goodness. Amen? So step into your gift in a big way. And so let me, let me finish with this because this is really important. And I apologize. Like I said, I've gone a little bit long. But I'm finishing up the series. Matthew 6.31 is so important in this. And I, and I touched on it when we began. Jesus said, so don't worry, about, don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Listen, for the world or the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Right? But he says this. But seek First, the kingdom, and then what happens? The kingdom is righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So here's what people do, and let me just leave you this as a reminder. Um, you, you're given a gift like this, whether you're a Christian or not. It's unredeemed if you're not a believer, but it's still there. And so often what happens is we don't seek the kingdom first. But even if we become believers, we take our gifts and our, and our abilities and we use them in our career, in the world. We use them outside, the, not the four walls of this church, but outside of the relationship that we all have as the church, the people. And we use them there first and the kingdom of God get the leftovers. And this is what I've learned, not just observed, experienced it too and watched it. Anyone who seeks the kingdom first, it doesn't see does not say seek the kingdom alone. It's not what it says. It just says do it first. It's the same thing when we talk about giving. Why is it that God says I want the first fruits? Because it's a reminder to you that everything you have came from him. And it's just the gift giving back to the Lord, whether giving generously or in any other way, is reminding yourself God is the one who gave me the ability to do this. And so the same thing is true. Jesus said, if you seek the kingdom first, if you use your gifts and your strengths to pour into the body of Christ, to build one another up in love, this is what Scripture says, then the church becomes a harvesting machine that reaches lost and broken people for Jesus, right? It rescues people literally from hell. But the church has to be the church for that to work well. So I just want to remind you, if you seek the kingdom first, this is what will happen. As you develop these gifts in you, they will become powerful in use in the world. So seek the kingdom first. Use them here first. And then as you go out into your marriage and all the roles you play into your job and all that stuff, these gifts will work powerfully and you'll see tremendous success both outside and inside the church. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Thank you for your patience. Again, I went a little bit long. I do apologize, but I wanted to finish the series up before we got into uh, community groups. So we'll be talking about that as we kind of go into the next season. Also, um, I confirmed Greg and Michelle Haswell will be here February the 19th. So if you guys don't know who they are, um, Greg and Michelle, they were my, Karen and I, they were our pastors uh, for about three years up in Atlanta. We served with them for a long time uh, before we came here 13 years ago. We've been in a relationship with them for a long, long time. 
phenomenal ministry. They're going to come in, speak into our team. All these gifts we were talking about, he's a big manifest, uh, sorry, a big fivefold ministry gift, uh, tremendous teacher. So don't miss that service. He's an incredible teacher. You'll, you'll love it. Uh, be praying for us as we go through that as leaders to hear what the Lord is saying to take us into the future as we go. Amen. So Jesus, Lord, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Lord, thank you that as we learn and grow in them, and then we just, Lord, we just take um, responsibility for the gift that we've been given, and we begin to operate it in healthy, whole ways. Lord, we see the kingdom begins to, to just manifest all around us, and your great power and authority comes, and you redeem all things, Lord. You redeem relationships, you redeem the world, you redeem the brokenness around us, Lord. You redeem marriages and relationships and families, Lord. You redeem businesses, because that's what you do. So, Lord, we want to be faithful in administrating these gifts that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer this morning, one of our teams will be up here. Somebody from our, our grace team, uh, pray for people, will be here. Love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week.